0: The CD is dead. Long live the LP? This is Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. I'm Naomi Lewin. Last year, CD sales fell nearly 15%, but sales of LPs moved in the opposite direction. According to Nielsen SoundScan, they were up 32% from the year before. Record stores may be a thing of the past, but trendy retailers like Urban Outfitters and Whole Foods are now stocking vinyl. Sales of turntables are up, and artists like conductor Gustavo Dudamel and this group, the string quartet Brooklyn Rider, are releasing music on LP. Today, three views on the subject of vinyl, starting with Greg Milner, author of the book Perfecting Sound Forever, and... Nicholas Cords, the violist from Brooklyn Rider. Greg, I'm going to start with you. As we all know, vinyl was phased out after the CD caught on in the 1980s. But these numbers show that LPs have been making a comeback since 2006. What
1: is going on? I think part of it is that the whole idea of actually holding a piece of music in your hand has become sort of a, a almost a quaint concept because you can carry so many songs around you can carry thousands of songs around in your pocket so if you are going to actually you know, have a, a material object it may as well be something that's so far removed from the, the sort of digital formats that everyone was you know has used because what's the point in a way like why have a CD if you can have you know a, an mp3 I mean I, I know there can be differences in sound quality that people notice but Honestly, if you're going to go the route of of actually holding music in your hand, you should go with, you know, with a a vinyl LP, which is arguably sounds better. Substantial. Right. Yeah, it's it's substantial. It's like something that you can actually hold. And also, I mean, the the sound is arguably better.
0: We'll get to that. (laughs) Nick, I want to ask you, why has Brooklyn Rider put out its albums on vinyl Mm -hmm. along with, I should say, CD and download formats? Sure. I think one of the beautiful things about vinyl is that,
2: like, you talk to two different people and you get five different reasons for doing it. (laughs) And we have our own reasons. I think we love the process, the physical space that puts you in as a listener. There's a commitment to listening to a record and, you know, in your living room and and, uh, in that kind of environment where the sound is out there in the air in a physical space. So that is important to us. But I think for us, a big reason was because it connects us to a past um, a heritage of string quartet playing that we very much admire that goes back to shellac and and you know 78s and but to us that was a sort of symbolic connection to something that we really love and we were able to find that connection
0: and um, you don't think the string quartets of the past if they could have would have put out their recordings digitally
2: Sure, I think they they would have, you know, for for sure. But I think there's also something to be said about the way things were recorded that I think we admire. And I'm not saying that we follow this to a T, but I think things were done with far fewer takes. You know, uh, Schnabel, the great pianist, was sort of feared in the recording world because he was wanting to do more than the 20 or so edits uh, that were considered the industry standard at the time. Like, he wanted to do more than that. But generally speaking, a lot of things were done in one take. You know, that was the aesthetic
0: of making records at that point. And are you following that aesthetic when you're (laughs) making your records? Very few people follow that aesthetic. (laughs) I assume you're not recording acoustically, right? You're not going that far back. No. Is any part of this a marketing gimmick? Well, I tell
2: you what, I think, you know, a big thing of what we, I think our focus very much was with our fan base. We were able to do our record Seven Steps on vinyl because we had a really successful Kickstarter campaign and we were bowled over by the amount of people who got behind that. And we had enough money to produce vinyl. It actually costs so much more money to do that because, of course, to do it correctly, you have to create a master um, for vinyl on lacquer and, and to go through a bunch of different mastering processes. And it's it's a pain and, it, and very costly. But we did it in order to have
0: something to give back to our fan base. I can imagine it is very expensive, and vinyl is also not nearly as portable. It's big, it's heavy, it scratches, it warps, yeah. needles for your record player wear mm. out. So really, is the sound better?
2: <laughs> well, the one thing I can say about the physicality of it, just to go there for one second, you said you would rather have that object. For an artist, you know, we travel with this stuff, so it's so heavy to take with us. You know, Does it sound better? in a way that's in the eye of the list uh, the ear of the listener it depends on how they're listening i mean most audiophiles i think say that in an apples to apples comparison that a cd holds so much more information you have to compress information in terms of dynamic range mm-hmm. and you know the way you reproduce bass is somewhat compromised i think from an audiophile point of view but i think some of that filtering process is the very thing that people listen to on a record and say ah you know listen to that smoothness or that warmth and so I, I think it's really
0: up to the individual. Greg, you're the sound guy. What do you have to say to that?
1: I think that it's interesting that you bring up warmth because one thing I discovered in researching the book is that I talked to actually I talked to people from uh some classical music labels that were the first people to put out uh, stuff digitally and they were saying that one thing they discovered is that you know if you take a piece of blank vinyl and you put a needle on it you're going to hear it tsss, you know, that they it's pink noise as they call it. And they realize that everything you hear, you know, on on a vinyl record, you're hearing through the veil of that that pink noise, and people like that in a way. It's distortion, but it it makes things kind of warm. Whereas you know what what they people were telling me is like you know if you really stand in front of a violin, it's got bite to it, it's got kick. Yeah. And it, but it listen you know so the point be I think one of the reasons why people like vinyl is that it actually it kind of imparts the sort of unreality to the sound. People think of it as being real, but it actually gives you this thing that maybe you don't hear in real life because in real life you're not hearing things through the sort of veil of, of hiss and noise.
0: Is there a difference in the mastering process once you've made the recording for a CD or an MP3 and the LP?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm not enough of a technician to explain what that is, except that I know that you know mastering a record, as you kind of alluded to, is much more complicated than you know than stamping out a CD. Mm-hmm it's much more of an art you know mastering engineers actually they used to be called in the pre-digital era they practiced the black arts is what people would say because no other engineers didn't really understand what they did they were this kind of rarefied little tiny group that would somehow take this you know piece of tape and make it into a piece of vinyl that could be stamped into you know into more pieces of vinyl and it's a really hard art to do and i'm guessing one of the reasons it's expensive is because there aren't that many mastering engineers left who are who are doing this right
2: yeah, that's part of it. And I think there is a whole physical process where you have to print that master onto a lacquer. Yeah. You know, and that lacquer can often go wrong. And it has a, the lacquer itself has an expiration date, really. I mean, yeah. it, it can't be played more than a few times before it degrades. So when we were doing ours, I think we had to go through a couple different of those lacquer processes. And that was difficult. You know, and in terms of that mastering process, I think that's one of the reasons why CDs uh, early on got a bad name. Because they were taking masters that they weren't mastered for CD and for the sort of huge range of dynamic and separation and all those things that you can fit onto a CD. They were just simply transferring the master from from the album onto CD. And I think that some of that bad reputation for digital music still is out there, coupled with now this idea of like what we listen to in an MP3 format and a download is so much degraded from... Digital. So I don't think
0: digital itself is a bad or inferior format at all. You're talking about all the expense that goes into the mastering and the compression and the this and the that. Then we haven't even talked about the expense of the artwork and the cover design, the liner notes, or whatever you're putting on the outside of it, and creating the jacket for the record. And of course, that's actually one of the beautiful reasons
2: to, to put out something on vinyl is because you have this increased um, format. And to us yeah. as a quartet, I think, you know, the connection to the other other art forms is so important in what we do. And we have so many friends who are artists. And so we were able to transfer a lot of the basic design of the CD for Seven Steps into the album by just enlarging and changing, you know, design elements slightly. But they they very much appear as the same thing. and this is, But this is all stuff that people could find on the Internet if they wanted. Yeah, they could. I mean, what you get on the Internet, you know, often is the thumbnail. And it just is not a great format. And the idea of, of liner notes, of course, to kind of go by the wayside often on the Internet or people don't bother in their sort of iPod or iPhone world to, to even read liner yeah. notes.
1: Well, it's like you were saying, I mean, that's... On that note, one nice thing about vinyl is that you are stuck there. I mean, you could get up from your couch and keep skipping around, but you're not, it's not, since it's not as easy to you, you tend to experience things all at once. And the same way that you've gotten this thing in front of you that you can read all, like you're just sort of forced into kind of treating your time with music differently and focusing more on the music.
2: The, you know, one thing I, a habit that I have when I listen to vinyl at home is that I keep the record on one side for sometimes days at a time and I will keep. Repeating it, yeah. just I, I don't know if it's laziness or w- w- what it is. It probably is laziness. I'm, you know, I'm a violist after all. So, um, uh, sorry, uh, violists out there. Uh, uh, the music internalizes itself in yeah. in a really beautiful way. You know, this idea of like wearing a record through, you know, I think is a beautiful thing about it. You know, it has a kind of you know, well, limited you, duration. Well, you
0: you mentioned that well, limited duration and that couch thing, and I have to say. With all the hours and hours of music that you can load onto an MP3 player, if you have ever been in a romantic situation with a record going, you know that it can be very inconvenient, shall we say, when the music runs out after about 23 minutes and you have to go flip the record over. So there is the inconvenience factor. Why would you want something so limiting?
2: (laughs) Well, you know... I don't actually listen myself to vinyl that often. To me, it is it is a special occasion, yeah. you know, in my life. I mean, my life is unusual, too, in that I spend more than 200 days out of the year on the road. They don't outfit cars anymore with record players. Record they used players. To. They used to. You know, it was it was out there. For a time. Um, But again, like to me, that's the thing that I'm able to do when I come home and I finally have that night at home where I don't have to be on stage and I don't have to do anything. So to me, I welcome the inconvenience. It's more a special occasion. It's a glorious thing. thing.
0: Yeah. I'd like to throw out a question now for listeners, which is, do you buy vinyl? And if you do, please tell us what you like about it. You can leave a comment on the Conducting Business page at WQXR.org. We're going to hear the other side of the vinyl comeback story now. And for that, let's bring in our third guest. Claire Sedith is a writer for Bloomberg Businessweek. Claire, last October, you looked into the numbers for the vinyl revival, and you found that there really is no such thing.
3: <laughs> I did. To be clear, there is a revival but it's only about 2% of total album sales. So when you talk about the survival, you have to talk about it in context of everything that everyone is listening to. CD sales are down. Actually, I think this year, um, digital downloads were also down for the first time since 2003, um, when iTunes launched, because streaming is now taking over. Um, And so vinyl is one of the only areas that's actually experiencing a rise, but it's so small that it's hardly going to save the music industry.
0: Do you listen to vinyl?
3: I do. Yes, I do.
0: So you're a fan?
3: I am. I'm a fan. Um, And it's interesting. I listen to different stuff on vinyl than I do on my iPod. I sort of like older music. um, So I tend to buy LPs of um, albums that came out several decades ago, whereas I'll be more likely to listen to more contemporary music digitally.
0: So why do you think this vinyl revival, so-called, has been getting so much attention?
3: I think it's something that people are really interested in. You know, you hear so much about the the rise of technology and everyone is um, on social media and online and streaming music for free. Um, and here is something that is the exact opposite of, of that. Um, there are these Uh, record stores that specialize in vinyl. There's one, Rough Trade, uh, just opened up in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And, you know, you have this company called um, Quality Record Pressings in Kansas that opened in 2011 because there was such a demand. So it's like within this huge trend towards easier and easier to access music um, and artists making you know, fewer and fewer dollars from it. Um, you have an area where there actually is something tangible and lucrative um, that is still happening, and people still value that.
0: Nick, how are the Brooklyn Rider LPs selling compared to CDs and download sales? Sadly, I'm not sure
2: our numbers bear out, you know, what what the late uh, last year's report would be. I mean, for us, again, like, you know, what we've done a lot with this vinyl is offered to... To people who did support us in the Kickstarter campaign and use it as a thing that we give you know special people that we meet along the way on our tours on the road. And you know I do totally agree with Claire about the general sense of the trend of music sales in a way, but as an artist, it's not a commercial venture, at least the way I see it. It really isn't. I think this is in terms of first of all, what can we give people, you know, how can we create dimension, in terms of what we do as a string quartet and what we put out there in the world. And I I think that is so important to us. You know, doing a vinyl issue is part of that, but also doing other special things that we offer people might be part of that, Um, whether it's creating a music video or, you know, going into depth or writing something or whatever the case may be. But I, I think the great thing about this rise in the trend, even though it is such a small piece of the pie, is that so many people are talking about it. Yeah. You know, and we're actually creating these kind of micro communities of like, hey, look what's happening in this pretty bleak environment, you know, but here is this really great thing and we're we're all we are connecting with the past and we are seeing this thing as a tradition and a cyclical yeah. thing. And I think that actually is a positive thing.
1: There was always something about vinyl that just sort of implied a kind of commitment to music that I mean, whether this is right or wrong that if you if you were in a vinyl i mean cuz for one thing vinyl was never really completely phased out uh, at least in the in the pop music world in the '90s, you could still get it, not not for every artist. And what, in fact, what some artists would do is if they were on an independent label and then they made the jump to a major label, they'd put it in their contract where they could keep releasing vinyl on the independent label because the major labels didn't care. What you know, they thought it was probably silly to do it at all, but it was a way to kind of maintain this community. Like, look, we we're still putting stuff out on, on vinyl.
0: Well, you mentioned community. I guess this is a question for everybody. Does the appeal of vinyl have something to do more with the social aspect of listening, that this is not something you are going to plug yourself into a pair of earbuds and listen to, but maybe something you're going to share with people?
3: Um, I would say yes. I think that, you know, if you have people over to your house obviously you can just put on spotify and play what you want but um, if you picture in your mind what you want to have um, as, as sort of a dinner party experience if you think about you know serving people wine and then putting on an album it has a different sort of atmospheric feel to it than if you just play something you know on your computer
0: Three out of four of the LPs sold last year were rock albums. There are a few classical artists, including Gustavo Dudamel, Pavel Yarvi, who have gone the vinyl route. But isn't this basically a very limited format for classical or limiting format for classical music? Because there's just so much you can squish onto one side. You're not going to get a Mahler symphony, or you're certainly not going to get Mahler's second even onto one LP.
2: Well, you know, in the case of our recording, Seven Steps, we had to do a double vinyl, you know, because on that record we wrote a piece together collaboratively that is called Seven Steps. You know, it was like our sort of venture into the world of what a band does, you know, the collaborative composition thing, which, you know, hasn't really been done so much in the world of a string quartet. But we used little elements of Beethoven's Opus 131 String Quartet in C-sharp minor, which is also on the record, And uh, a piece of of a friend of ours, Chris Tigner, who wrote a piece for String Quartet and Electronics. So we wanted to fit all of that because it was really important for us not to pare down from the CD experience or what our concept of the album was. So we went through even more expense to make it this double album venture. So, I mean, you can do it. You know, I mean, you can release as many as you want. It's just a matter of cost and viability.
1: And also, I've always been annoyed when people say that what they don't like about vinyl is they don't like the sound of the needle on the record, because I still think that, that it's that big a deal. However, I think in the classical world where the music has a greater dynamic range and has quiet parts, that would be more of a hassle to have to hear that the pops and ticks, I think. And, and i found personally that music that's made by acoustic instruments or anything that's non-electric, tends to sound better on vinyl than it does on on CD, so you have to balance that as well. But I can see that if so if you listen to a lot of classical music, you might just like the fact that you don't have to deal with, with surface noise on a, you know, on, a, on a CD.
0: So, Greg, I'm going to ask you, as the sound guy, we've had LPs, we've had reel-to-reel, we've had 8-track, we've had cassettes, we've had dad tapes, CDs, MP3s, and each one of those has been... Hailed as an upgrade to the last, how's this all going to play out in five or ten years? Are we all going to be? Are we all going to be streaming our music through services like Spotify, in spite of all of these physical things?
1: Yeah, I think in a way that that ship has sailed. I mean, that's the way it's going to be for most people. And you know, why not? It's it's so convenient. But I, I just don't see vinyl going away. And, you know, it's important. Like, you named all those formats. Those formats didn't survive. Vinyl did. The vinyl record did. And I think that speaks to just that it's, you know, it's a good format. It's durable. It'll last a long time. I think it's a myth that records are, are really fragile. Uh, you have to take care of them a bit. But really, it's they're, they're going to last for a long time. I mean, someone I interviewed in the book who actually is a, one of the Few people left who still engineers on wax cylinder. He, it's sort of a novelty thing for him. But he said that, you know, he owned a house that, where, where there was a flood and the 78 survived and they're going to they're last for hundreds of years. And by the way, just as an aside, the wax cylinders that he made, too, he said those last for a long time, too, as long as you take care of them. They're actually not that, that fragile. So it's not always intuitive what things are going to be, the things that, that are actually durable and will stand the test of time.
0: Well, I'm hoping that radio will also stand the test of time <laughs> over the years. I want to thank you all very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a Thanks. lot. Thank you. This has been Conducting Business. Our guests were author and music writer Greg Milner, who wrote the book Perfecting Sound Forever, the Story of Recorded Music. Also, Brooklyn writer, violist Nick Kords, and Bloomberg Businessweek writer Claire Suttup. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin.